And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnell. This is the Ken Hudnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's February 12th, 43rd day of the year. 322 days remain to the years over with. And it's President's Day, also known as Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Um, it's Darwin Day, Red Hand Day, National Plum Pudding Day, National Lost Penny Day. <coughs> and for those that are not familiar with that, you know, when you think about it, pennies are actually a real nuisance. Small, worthless, unless you need one. And despite putting them safely in your purse or your pocket, they wind up blocking the filter on your washing machine, slipping down the sides of cushions in your favorite easy chair. But on one special day, it's recommended we take the time to gather up these coins and do something useful with them. Uh, National Lost Penny Day is the perfect day to take a moment to recognize the uh, worth of the penny. We also have National Clean Out Your Computer Day. You never know what's in it. National Football Hangover Day. Yesterday was a big game, and a lot of folks tied one on, especially if their team won. Random Acts of Kindness Week. Take Your Family to School Week. International Flirting Week. National Jello Week. Children of Alcoholics Awareness Week. Great American Pizza Bake. National Secondhand Wardrobe Week, National Cardiac Rehabilitation Week, Congenital Heart Defect Awareness Week, National Kraut and Frankfurter Week, uh, Freelance Lighters Appreciation Week, and Carnival in Brazil. It's Abraham Lincoln's birthday. It's Josh Brolin's, Tony Ferguson, Christina Ricci, Brett Kavanaugh. It's National Black History Month, Canned Food Month, National Snack Food Month, National Children's Dental Health Month, Harley Quinn Month, National Embroidery Month, National Grapefruit Month, National Women Inventors Month, Great American Pie Month, International Vegan Cuisine Month, American Heart Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for the Family Fun Month, National Bird Feeding Month, National Hot Breakfast Month, National Library Lovers Month, uh, Low Vision Awareness Month, National Fasting Month, and North American Inclusion Month. So it's a big month for a lot of things. Now let us, all that having been said, in the year 1096, Pope II confirms the foundation of the Abbey of LaRue under Robert of Bruxelles is the community of canons regular. 1404, the Italian professor Galizio di Santa Sophie performs the first uh, post-mortem autopsy for the purpose of teaching and demonstration at the uh, Heligen Geist Spittal in Vienna. 1429, English forces under Sir John Fastolf defend a supply convoy carrying rations to the army besieging uh, Orleans in the Battle of the Herrings. 
1502, Isabella I issues an edict outlawing Islam in the crown of Castile, virtually forcing all her Muslim subjects to convert to Christianity. Or else. 1502, Vasco da Gama sets sail with 15 ships and 800 men from Lisbon, Portugal, in his second voyage to India. 1541. Okay, in 1541... Santiago, Chile is founded by Pedro de Valdivia. 1593, Japanese invaded Korea. 3,000 Joseon defenders, led by General Kwan Yul, repel more than 30,000 Japanese forces in the siege of Haiengu. <coughs> Excuse me. 1689, the Convention Parliament declares the, light in the flight of them one more time. The flight to France in 1688 by James II, the last Roman Catholic British monarch, constituted an abdication. 1733, Georgia Day. Englishman James Oglethorpe founded Georgia, the 13th colony of the 13 colonies, by settling at Savannah. 1771, Gustav III becomes the King of Sweden. 1817, an Argentine-Chilean patriotic army after crossing the Andes defeats Spanish troops at the Battle of Chacabuco. 1818, Bernardo Ojic formally approves the Chilean Declaration of Independence near Concepcion, Chile. 1825, the Creeks cede the last of their lands in Georgia to the U.S. government by the Treaty of Indian Springs and migrate west. Is it really a seeding when you do it at gunpoint? 1832, Ecuador annexes the Galapagos Islands. 1889, Antonin Dvorak's Jacobin is premiered at the National Theater in Prague. 1894, anarchist Emile Henry hurls a bomb into the Café Terminus in Paris. Killed one person, wounded 20. 1909, the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, is founded on this date. Also, in 1909, New Zealand's worst maritime disaster in the 20th century <coughs> happens when the SS Penguin Inter Island Ferry sinks and explodes at the entrance to Wellington Harbor. 1912, the Jiantong Emperor, the last emperor of China, abdicates. 1919, I think his name is. Um, Pu Wee? Yeah, Pu Yi. Um, he reigned as the 11th and final monarch of the Qing Dynasty, later ruler of the puppet state of Manchukuo under the Empire of Japan from 1934 to 1945. Became emperor at the age of two, 1908. Forced to abdicate at the age of six. In 1912, during the Xinhai Revolution, during his first Reign, he was known as the Kwangtong Emperor, with his era name meaning a proclamation of unity. Briefly restored to the throne of China as the emperor by the loyalist General Jiang Yun from July 1st to July 12th, 1917. First wed to Emperor Empress Wenrong in 1922 in an arranged marriage. In 1924, he was expelled from the Forbidden City and found refuge in Tianjin, where he began to court both the warlords fighting for 
hegemony over China and the Japanese who had long desired control of China. 1932, after the Japanese invasion of Manchuria, the popular state of Manchukuo was established by the Japanese, and he was chosen to become the chief executive of the new state, using the era name of Datong. In 1934, he was the current emperor of Manchukuo, with the era name Kangdi, and reigned over his new empire to the end of the Second Sino-Japanese War in 1945. His third stint as emperor saw him as a puppet of Japan. And he signed most of the edicts the Japanese gave him. The uh, During this period, he resided in the salt tax palace where he regularly ordered his servants beaten. His first wife, opium addiction, had consumed her during these years, and they were fairly distant. Had numerous concubines as well as male lovers. With the fall of Japan and, by extension, Manchukuo in '45, he fled the capital and was eventually captured by the Soviets, extradited to the People's Republic of China in 1950. After his capture, he never saw his first wife again. She died of starvation in a Chinese prison in 1946. Um, he was a defendant in the Tokyo trials and later imprisoned and re-educated as a war criminal for 10 years. Released in 1959 and wrote his memoirs with the help of a ghostwriter. Became a titular member of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference and the National People's Congress of the People's Republic of China. And he re- expressed deep regret for his actions while he was emperor. He died in 1967, was buried near the Western King tombs in a commercial cemetery. Well, to have a job at the age of two. Hmm. Okay, 1919, the Second Regional Congress of Peasants, Workers, and Insurgents is held with the Bakhdovichina at Oleopoli. Uh, 1921, Bolsheviks launched a revolt in Georgia as a preliminary to the Red Army invasion of Georgia. 1935, USS Macon, one of the two largest helium-filled airships ever created, crashes into the Pacific Ocean off the coast of California and sinks. 1945, the devastating tornado outbreak in Mississippi and Alabama killed 45 people and injured 427 others. 1946, World War II. Operation Deadlight ends after scuttling 121 of 154 captured U-boats. 1946, African-American United States Army veteran Isaac Woodard, uh, severely beaten by South Carolina police officer to the point where he loses his vision in both eyes. This incident later galvanizes a civil rights movement and partially inspires Orson Welles' film Touch of Evil. The... um, I know a lot of people that consider uh, actions such as this uh, proper. I never did. And uh, for that reason, when I took a stand against a judge, that blacks had the right to legal representation, he called me a traitor to my race, ended my career. Nobody cared. 1947, the largest observed iron meteorite until that time creates an impact crater in Sikoti Alin in the Soviet Union. 1947, Christian Dior unveils a new look, helping Paris regain its position as the capital of the fashion world. 1961, 
Soviet Union launches Venera 1 toward Venus. 1963, construction begins on the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. I've seen it. It's interesting. Also in 63, Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 705 crashes into the Everglades shortly after takeoff from Miami International Airport. Killed all 45 people on board. 1965, Malcolm X visits Smithwick near Birmingham following the racially charged 1964 United Kingdom general election. 1968, Fong Nguyen, Fong Nahat massacre. Um, it was a massacre of unarmed civilians in the villages of Fong Nguyen and Fong Nahat. Um conducted by the 2nd Marine Brigade of the Republic of the Korea Marines during the Vietnam War. took place February 12, 1968. 1974, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Pri- winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature in the 1970s, exiled from the Soviet Union. 1983, 100 women protest in Lahore, Pakistan against military dictator Zia or Hawks proposed law of evidence. Women were tear gassed, baton charged, and thrown into lockup. However, they were successful in repealing the law. 1988, uh, Cold War. 1988, Black Sea bumping incident. U.S. missile cruiser USS Yorktown is intentionally rammed by the Soviet frigate. Bezaventani in the Soviet territorial waters, where Yorktown claims innocent uh, passage. 1990, Carmen Lawrence becomes the first female premier in Australian history when she becomes premier of Western Australia. 1992, the current constitution of Mongolia comes into effect. 1993, the two-year-old James Bulger is abducted from the New Strand Shopping Center by two 10-year-old boys that later torture and murder him. 1994, four thieves break into the National Gallery of Norway and steal Edvard Munch's iconic painting, The Scream. 1999, United States President Bill Clinton's acquitted by the U.S. Senate for his, in his impeachment trial. 2001, near Shoemaker spacecraft touches down in the saddle region of 433 Eros and becoming the first spacecraft to land on an asteroid. 2002, the trial of Slobodan Milosevic, the former president of the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, begins at the United Nations International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia in the, the Hague. Uh, it dies four years later before the trial is over with. 2002, an Iran air tour Tupolev Tu-154 crashes into the mountains outside uh, Karamabad, Iran, while descending for a landing at the Karamabad airport. Killed 119 people. 2004, city of San Francisco begins issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples in response to a directive from the mayor, Gavin Newsom. Who else? 2009, Kogan Air Flight uh, 3407 crashes into a house in Clarence Center, New York, while on approach to Buffalo, Niagara International Airport. Killed all on board and one on the ground. And as I've said many times... If you have an airplane phone, you're having a really bad day. 
2016, Pope Francis and Patriarch Kirill signed an ecumenical declaration in the first such meeting between the leaders of the Catholic and Russian Orthodox churches since their split in 1054. And in 2019, the country known as the Republic of Macedonia renames itself the Republic of North Macedonia in accordance with the Prespa Agreement, settling a long-standing naming dispute with Greece. Well, as you might guess, this has been a, um, shall we say, an um, active date in history. And now we're going to talk about our main topic. Well, our topic for today is some of the world's most haunted places. We're going to start out in Plainfield, Wisconsin. There's a cemetery there, and there's an unmarked grave belonging to the man who, uh, thanks to his Hollywood influence, may be the America's most infamous serial killer. And in that same burial ground is the remains of the woman or women he dug up in the 1950s and turned into a perverse variety of handicrafts. Not surprisingly, the place is said to be haunted by the rest of the soul of one of the, his victims, unnamed in death as she was in life, who prowls the lonely grave sites. It was November 1957. Plainfield was shaken to its core after 58-year-old Bernice Warden, local, the owner of the local hardware store, vanished. Her son told the local sheriff he'd found blood in the store, and 51-year-old local handyman named Ed Gein had recently come in looking for antifreeze. Well, law enforcement traced Gein down to the ramshackled, isolated farmhouse where he'd lived uh, alone since the death of his mother. The sheriff found Warden uh, hanging by her feet, decapitated and eviscerated. She was hanging in a shed. But that was just the beginning of what the sheriff found. In the garbage-strewn house, law enforcement officers found chairs reupholstered with fatty human skin, a soup bowl made from a human skull, a pull made of lips, masks made from human faces, a belt made of female nipples, a vest made from a female torso, embalming supplies, anatomy books, and detective magazines that uh, Gein had to read by kerosene lamp. They didn't have electricity in the house. Also, human heads, one belonging to Mary Hogan, who'd run a Plainfield Tavern and vanished in uh, 1954. Apparently, he'd been active for quite some time. Well, in the end, the remains of a, 11 women were discovered in the house. Two of them, Hogan and Warden, again claimed to have shot to death. Nine had been, uh, according to him, dug up from local graves. Many of them had been tanned, as you would do it in taxidermy. Their flesh used by Gein as garments. The only immaculate part of the dwelling was the nail-shut room that had belonged to Gein's mother, Augusta. Fanatical religious woman had subjected her unstable son to ceaseless rants about the evils of women. Her alcoholic husband, George, died in 1940. Shortly after that, Gein's brother, Henry, died under mysterious circumstances in 1944. That left just Ed Gein himself to share the house with his mother, who he claimed was the love of his life. But when she died in 1945, Gein was alone. Well, 
I guess you could say almost alone. The necrophilic bachelor started digging up graves, using the remains of female bodies for company. He dressed in women's clothes, some fashioned from corpses, wishing he'd been born a woman. In fact, his mother said she had prayed for a daughter. Well, Gaines' oblivious neighbors found him mostly harmless. Local resident Ms. George Foster said, Ed Gein babysat for me once for more about an hour. Just sat there, ate peaches, and watched TV. But everybody did acknowledge he was odd. Talked obsessively, for instance, about crime and women. His former girlfriend, Adeline Watkins, said, uh, We discussed every murder we heard about. He explained the mistakes the murderer made. Declared insane in 1958, he died of cancer at the age of 77 in Mendota Mental Health Institute. But his uh, legacy endures. He inspired some of the greatest horror films ever made. Among them, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Silence of the Lambs, and a little-known classic called Deranged. The most enduring product of the Gein legend began in 1959 when writer Robert Block published a book called Psycho which Alfred Hitchcock turned into the classic 1960 film. In it, Peter Norman Bates, the character based on Gein, says the boy's best friend is his mother. Well, sometimes it goes a little too far. But as one individual commented to me once, in all seriousness, I suspect, vice is nice, but incest is best. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. I guess that kind of depends. Well, one of the books I read, uh, I don't know, 40 years ago, Rosemary's Baby. John Lennon and Yoko Ono moved into Dakota on 72nd Street in Central Park West in 1973. They were well aware of the stories that said the building was haunted. And having explored it a little bit, I can agree. So they hired a medium to conduct a seance in their seventh floor apartment and reached Jesse Ryan, the recently departed wife of Dirty Dozen actor Robert Ryan, who sold him the, the unit. Well, she wasn't a blithe spirit. She announced she intended to stay in the, the couple's apartment, which didn't make the Ryan's daughter Lisa happy. She said, if my mother's ghost is going to be anywhere, it needs to be with me. Well, most of the Dakota spirits don't belong there, though. They seem to have been in residence since the building was completed in 1884. It was built for singer sewing machine President Edward Clark in Manhattan's then-rural Upper West Side. German Renaissance Revival structure was reportedly called the Dakota because its location was as remote as Dakota Territory. Over time, the Dakota's sinister reputation sinister a little one more time. The Dakota's sinister reputation can't read my own handwriting. Grown along with its environs. This was after all where John Lennon was murdered in nineteen eighty. Oh no, uh Yoko Ono uh, still lives there, and Aaron Levin used it as a setting for his classic 1967 novel, Rosemary's Baby. Though the novelist called it the Black Bramford, he drew on the Dakota's dark mojo for inspiration. 
One character in his book said, Over the years, the Bramford has had far more than its share of ugly and unsavory happenings. We're in our living's world. These include cannibalism, witchcraft, Satanism, and murder. He may well have added uh, the real-life spirit of a beautiful blonde girl in a yellow dress. Some have called her the house ghost. Others call her a bad omen. Allegedly, uh, she said to a painter who fell to his death, It's my birthday. Others have seen the ghost of a man with the face of a small boy. And a mysterious fire started inside Ryder Rex Reed's apartment. He later told Stephen Birmingham in Life at the Dakota, I thought uh, this fire was just a welcome to the Dakota. Well, elevators move on their own. Footsteps are heard where nobody walks. Rumbling sound through the walls, and the past seemed to coexist with the present. Chandelier was seen through the window one resident's apartment as he walked to the building, despite the fact he didn't have a chandelier. Only remains of one. A lot of phenomena seem to emanate from the basement, including the so-called man with a wig who's known for taking off his wig and shaking it angrily at people. Levin's novel, uh, Rosemary calls the basement kind of creepy, and so does singer Roberta Flack, a longtime resident who refuses to enter the basement. She said that building's been occupied by a lot of strong people. They stay, they've got memories, and they come back. Certainly there's uh, no question there's a lot of bizarre things in the Dakota. But there's a lot of places in New York City that are just as bizarre. Let's talk about the Edgar Allan Poe House in Baltimore. The, um, you know, Orrin Painter erected a marker in 1913 to commemorate Poe's original burial place in the Westminster Hall burying ground at uh, Catacombs in uh, Baltimore. In the early morning hours of September 27, 1849, Edgar Allan Poe left Richmond, Virginia on a steamer heading for Baltimore. Wasn't seen again for almost a week when he was found delirious, probably drunk, wearing somebody else's clothes in a Baltimore tavern. He was hospitalized, and he raved repeatedly, shouting somebody's name, until on October 7th he muttered, Lord, help my poor soul, and he died. Now a museum, Edgar Allan Poe House on Baltimore's Amity Streets, where the writer lived in the early 1830s. According to the locals, it's haunted, but not by Poe's poor soul. Some have seen the spirit of a stout old woman dressed in clothing in the early 1800s. Others reported visitations by a ghost known as Mr. Eddie. Doors and windows open and shut when there's nobody there, and visitors sometimes feel persistent tapping on their shoulders. Now, one neighbor has seen candlelight lights bobbing in the museum after closing time. Well, Poe's ghost has been seen in the town's port area, Fells Point, where the writer seems to have been wandering during his final days. A spirit affectionately named Edgar is said to prowl the the horse she came in on saloon, Baltimore's oldest pub. In the, the beginning, uh, 1949, a mysterious person known as the Phantom Toaster has toasted the writer with a glass of cognac at his grave every January 19th. That's Poe's birthday, don't you know? Leaving behind the unfinished brandy bottle and three red roses. But after vanishing in 2009, Toaster was thought to be... Uh, 
according to The Raven in one of Poe's works, nevermore until a new toaster reignited tradition in 2016. Now, another place that's considered one of the most haunted places uh, we've talked about before, the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California. According to one journalist, um, there's something of the awful House of Usher about it. First opened to the public in San Jose, California in 1923. Known as the Winchester Mystery House. And he said, I for one would tremendously like to give a Halloween party in this old house. Well, the rumors about this uh, maze-like Victorian mansion started soon after its eccentric owner, Sarah Winchester, began her elaborately idiosyncratic construction. And it continued to this day, fueled in part by the guides who lead tourists through the bizarre structures, odd nooks and crannies, past doors that open into walls and up staircases that don't go anywhere. There are now 160 rooms, 2,000 doors, 10,000 windows, 47 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 13 bathrooms, and 6 kitchens. Now, when you take a tour, you're warned not to wander off because you could be lost for hours in that maze. Well, according to the story, after losing both her only child and her husband in New England, Winchester, uh, Sarah Winchester, who was the heiress to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company fortune, went to see a Boston psychic. He told her her family was cursed by the souls of American Indians and Civil War soldiers who had been killed by Winchester rifles. You do remember the Winchester was known as the gun that won the West. And he said the only way to placate these spirits was to build a rambling house for them to inhabit. And Winchester dutifully moved to California where she bought an unfinished farmhouse in 1886. And for the next 36 years, she renovated and rebuilt her house, reportedly hiring construction workers to work around the clock. According to what uh, the psychic said, as long as the hammering continued, she'd stay alive. Well, the truth is a little bit more complicated. Known in her youth as the Belle of New Haven, Winchester was later crippled by rheumatoid arthritis and, having lost her fabled looks, rarely went outside. And her obsessive need for privacy and the refusal to speak publicly allowed yellow journalists and nosy neighbors to say anything they wanted to about her. With impunity, I might add. And they certainly did. Uh, the fact remains that visitors and staff alike claim to hear footsteps and breathing, see apparitions from other areas, find locked doors suddenly open, and even smell chicken soup. 1920s, a, a journalist was not far off when she compared the structure of the Winchester House to the House of Usher. <clears throat> like Poe's melancholy domicile, the Winchester House remains a mystery, all insoluble. Well, from the air, it looks like a village unto itself. Well, from the Winchester House in San Jose, California, let's go to New Orleans, Louisiana. Well, let me ask you a question. What major U.S. city advertises rental apartments as haunted or not haunted? as if ghosts or amenities like air conditioning or 24-hour doorman. And if you said Boston, you'd be wrong. Close, but no cigar. We're talking, of course, about New Orleans, Louisiana. 
where spirited real estate sales are among the many reasons why the port city between the Mississippi and Lake Pontchartrain is considered the most unearthly urban enclave in the U.S. Well, you need to ask yourself, how did the Crescent City, as it's called, become a ghost town? Well, maybe it's got something to do with this multicultural mix of spiritual traditions. You got Native Americans, French, Spanish, Creole, Cajun, and not the least of which is voodoo, an amalgam of African religions and Catholicism. Or maybe it's the fact that because the water tables are high, tombs called cities of the dead are all built above ground, leaving restless spirits to roam the steamy streets. There's one story, or a ghost story that is, on virtually every corner in that town. In the spirit of a suicide that haunts Louisiana National Guard Armory to the legend of the voodoo queen Marie Laveau, who's interred in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. I spent some time around her uh, tomb. It's quite an interesting place. There's money and credit cards and valuables spread all over the ground. They're shoved in every crack in her tomb. And I asked a tour guide why nobody stole it. I mean, if it happened here in El Paso, it'd be gone before you... You got back to your car. And he said, nobody steals from Marie Laveau. And I guess that's true. Well, not long ago, a New York magazine editor in the city for a convention crawled into her bed one night and felt the presence of a man beside her. When he wrapped his arms around her, she was too terrified to scream. Stayed awake, being held until sunrise when the spirit vanished. Maybe hotels should take a cue from rentals and advertise haunted and unhaunted rooms along with continental breakfast. Certainly it might be uh, beneficial. Well, from New Orleans, let's talk about one of the most haunted places in the country, Salem, Massachusetts, known as the Witch Hunt Village. Well, <coughs> Tituba was a Caribbean slave who was working for Salem Village's uh, minister, Samuel Paris. And his young daughter and niece began to suffer fits in the winter of 1692. Uh, supposedly influenced by the, the Bahan woman's fortune-telling, the girls and their friends soon were called victims of witchcraft. According to Tatuba, that was her name, <coughs> the devil came to her and Told him to serve. Told her to serve him. And this also began the town's notorious witch hysteria, driven by ever increasing accusations from the coterie of possessed girls. The Salem court convicted and hung nineteen townspeople, found guilty of witchcraft in 1692. But not all these souls went placidly into their unhallowed graves. In fact, three of them uttered hellish curses that some believe afflict Salem to this day. Beggar named Sarah Good, having lost her unborn child in jail after being convicted of uh, witchcraft in June of 1692, was brought to Gallus Hill with four other witches in July. When Reverend Nicholas Noyes tried to elicit a confession, uh, the furious woman shouted, I'm no more a witch than you are a wizard, and if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. Well, in 1717, according to tradition, Noyes suffered an internal hemorrhage and choked to death on his own blood. When a hundred years later, Nathaniel Hawthorne, a descendant of the witch-hanging judge, uh, John Harth, uh, Haythorne, used the curse to fuel the plot of his third novel, The House of the Seven Gables, the name of a Salem house that uh, still stands to this day. 
In fact, in the introduction to the Scarlet Letter, Hawthorne apologized for his ancestors' actions. So-called warlock hurled imprecations as well. Giles Corey shouted, Damn you, Sheriff, as he was fatally crushed under stones, put on wooden planks in a field near the uh, Howard Street, possibly the site of the current Howard Street Cemetery. He said, I curse you and I curse Salem. Well, according to Hawthorne, tradition was a long current that the ghost of Giles Corey, a wizard, appeared on the spot where he had suffered his uh, precursor to some calamity that was impending over the community. He was reportedly seen, for instance, in the Howard Street Cemetery the night before the Great Salem Fire, July 25, 1914. That fire left half the town homeless. Corey had been tortured for two or three days by High Sheriff uh, George Corwin, who was ostracized by the town after the trials. When Corwin died of a heart attack in 1696, his family, not wanting to risk a vandalized grave, interred him in his own basement. In the same site now occupied by the Joshua Ward House. Naturally, that house is, uh, as you might guess, said to be haunted. In the 1970s, according to Rosemary Ellen Guiley, uh, author of The Haunted Salem, the last man to serve in the office of sheriff, that office no longer exists, by the way, Robert Ellis Cahill investigated the curse and wrote that all the sheriffs, as far back as he could trace, either died in the office of heart problems or retired with an ailment of the blood. 1978, Cahill's own stint as sheriff was cut short by heart disease. Another accused witch seemed to predict a future conflagration. According to Wilmot Red, uh, this town shall burn. He was among the final eight victims to be hung on Gallows Hill on September 22, 1692. And many years later, of course, Salem did burn in the Great Salem Fire of July 25, 1914. But none of those doomed townsfolks that ever thought to curse Salem with... Uh, Tourist brochures calling it bewitching. Not to mention a 3D haunted adventure or a terror house that claims we're bringing scary back. One doubts Corey's ghost would agree with that assessment. And there's even a statue of Elizabeth Montgomery, star of TV's Bewitched, honoring the episode of the popular show that was shot in the village where all hell broke loose, literally, in 1692. You can just never tell what's going to happen. Well, let's talk about... Craig Duruk Castle, also known as the Fearsome Fort. According to the caption on a photo supposedly showing the ghost of a woman in Craig Duruk Castle, uh, do you see the late uh, Joan Dunsmere? Um, Craig Duruk Castle is a um, National Historic Site Museum on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. The ghost photos are taken in supposedly haunted spots all over the world, often involve tricks of the light, or maybe Photoshop. But in this particular castle, they may well be spectral selfies, so to speak. Built by coal magnet Robert Dunsmere, the uh, Scottish baronial castle was completed in 1890. But unfortunately for him, Robert Dunsmere died before he could move in. His wife Joan took possession, but died herself in 1908. Well, not posing for photos, her ghost was last seen descending the main staircase in a, hall ga- in a ball gown, and her tallow candles had been smelled on the second floor. And she doesn't seem to be alone. In the basement, the spirit of a little girl is seen staring sadly at the floor. 
and the crying of a child and music from a playerless Steinway piano, sometimes heard echoing among the ornate woodwork and Victorian stained glass in the mansion's 39 rooms. Well, plenty of other spots on Vancouver Island are said to be haunted as well. Cameron Lake, for one, is the site of a wide range of reported paranormal activity. Ghost of Hawaiian axe murder supposedly haunts the forest of Newcastle Island Park. And not least, nearby Vancouver's Dead Man Island, once a burial ground for everybody from indigenous Indians to early settlers, as well as a quarantine station for smallpox victims, is now home to the haunted HMCS Discovery, a rural Canadian Navy Reserve Division and shore facility. A lot of reservists have experienced unexplained activity here, including, according to the Vancouver Courier, disembodied voices, apparitions, and moving furniture. But at least one witness wanted further proof. He said, if I have an encounter with ghosts, I want chains. I want the whole Ghostbuster effect. Well, there's no report as to whether or not he got it, but nothing would surprise me. And then, of course, there's another haunted place we've talked about several times, and that's the Stanley Hotel, the scene of the movie The Shining. Well, it all started with a dream. September 1974, best-selling novelist Stephen King was on vacation with his wife Tabitha at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. He said, wandering through its corridors, I thought it seemed the perfect setting for a ghost story. That night I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulders, eyes wide, screaming, being chased by a fire hose. Well, of course, was the inspiration for King's classic 1977 novel, The Shining, in which Stanley became the Overlook Hotel of the writer's prodigious imagination. Built in 1909 by the inventor F.O. Stanley, this 140-room hotel has made the National Register of Historic Places. But when King visited it, it had, been, it had seen much better days. Before such TV shows as Ghost Hunters made spirit hunting a, something of a national sport, the uh, Grand Hotel was dogged by the rumor it was haunted. Fact became paradoxically a draw after The Shining put it on the map. Today, the management plays up the hotel's reputation by offering access to a resident um, psychic, day and night tours, and even family tours. Well, unlike Jack Torrance, visitors probably won't find a decomposing lady in room 217's bathtub, but the room is said to be haunted by the ghost of Elizabeth Wilson, a former maid known to climb into bed between uh, unmarried couples. Other ghosts include Paul, the hotel's former maintenance man, who still enforces the hotel's strict 11 p.m. curfew by telling night owls to get out. Humming spirit named Lucy prowls the concert hall and a Wraith called Eddie is known as a Lothario, stroking female patriots' hair and kissing their cheeks. Uh, once called the Stinky Man, he has since apparently found the spectral equivalent of soap. Well, more than King's archetypal um, place for a ghost story, the Stanley's, according to former in-house paranormal investigator Lisa Nyhart, a Disneyland for ghosts. What if they got their own version of Mickey Mouse? Well, from Colorado, let's go to New York. The Amityville Horror House, as it's known. It was November 13, 1974. 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo slaughtered the other six members of his family at 112 Ocean Avenue in the village of Amityville, New York. 
A year later, newlyweds uh, George and Kathy Lutz bought the murdered family's stately waterside, uh, waterside Dutch colonial. Its bargain basement price outweighing its gruesome reputation. Well, moving in with Kathy's three children from her previous marriage, the Lutches soon uh, began to experience phenomena that had nothing to do with the everyday horrors of home ownership. For example, they saw red eyes at the windows, swarms of flies, ooze sweeping through the walls, cloven hoofs on the snow, and even heard a spect- spectral voice scream, Get out! Well, one theory behind the events, Ronald DeFeo Jr. was no more psychopath, no mere psychopath, but somehow possessed by the house's uh, evil spirits, which may have been emanated from the ancient Indian burial grounds originally built on. Pleading insanity, DeFeo said he heard voices that told him to kill his family. Unwilling to fall victim to the same forces, the Lutches eventually fled the house, leaving all their possessions behind. They moved a mere 28 days after they moved in. What began as a family tragedy morphed into a pop culture juggernaut. 1977, the book The Amityville Horror became not merely a bestseller, but a bona fide phenomena. 1979, the movie adaptation became the first entry in a widely successful horror franchise that's continued for decades. From the very beginning, the alleged supernatural events were dogged by controversy. Some have called the whole thing a hoax. DeFeo, for his part, later disavowed his demonic defense. It would have been a risk, to say the least, for the Lutches, who were hardly wealthy to leave behind a house they just bought, staking their future on an elaborate lie. And this wouldn't, at any rate, your garden variety house flipping. Oh, no. To the end of their days, the Lutches insisted their story was true. Kathy died in 2004, followed by George in 2006. And as the horror house used in the movie in 2012, it was on the market. Its original asking price of $1.45 million reduced to 955000 Four years later, it was listed again for 850000 Then it was lowered to 605000 in 2017. You think demons were responsible for the, the latest... Um, Flip? Nope. Another sort of disturbance. A divorce. Well, let's talk about the... Also in New York. The Headless Horseman. Sleepy Hollow, New York, to be specific. According to Washington Irving of the... And talking about the titular town and the legend of Sleepy Hollow... A drowsy, dreamy influence seems to hang over the land to pervade the very atmosphere. Well, he wrote The Legend of Sleep of Horror in 1820 about the lovelorn schoolteacher Ichabod Crane's encounter with the hell-bent headless horseman. He said the whole neighborhood abounds with local tales and haunted spots and twilight superstitions. Though Irving invented the name Sleepy Hollow, the village formerly known as North Terrytown was rechristened after the fictitious enclave in the late 1990s. You may make a reference to life imitating art, but after all, what's in a name? <coughs> 25 miles north of New York City, Sleepy Hollow is a, now a popular suburb. Long ago, it lost the bucolic atmosphere that so enchanted Irving. If you look closely, though, you'll see that traces of the old superstitions abound. Sleepy Hollow's old Dutch church and burial ground, the oldest church in New York State, for instance, rumored to be haunted by Irving's infernal equestrian. Uh, 
Unlikely, given that the specter is mostly the writer's invention, but after all, what old cemetery doesn't have its own ghost? It's also the burial place of two women. Katriana Ecker Van Tassel and her niece, Eleanor Van Tassel Brush, either of whom might have inspired the character of Katrina Van Tassel, Ichabod's love interest. Disembodied whispers have been heard in a sleepy hollow cemetery where Irving himself is buried. The writer's home, called Sunnyside, which he designed where he lived out his last days, is said to be haunted by his ghost. Apparently, he likes to pinch the uh, nether regions of uh, female visitors. And he claimed himself to have seen a ghost when he lived there. Said it was a young lady who wandered through the orchard. Said to have died of love and green apples. His two spectral nieces have also been seen cleaning up after the place is closed. Well, nearby towns have their share of spooks also. Irvington, uh, named after Washington Irving. Is, um is the home of the Church of St. Barnabas, the home of a long-dead former pastor and another former pastor's wife. Unearthly mists and dancing lights have been observed in Scarborough's Sparta Cemetery in the resting place of so-called Leatherman, an eccentric, unidentified man who spent his wife in London around New York and Connecticut wearing nothing but a leather suit. Now, Irving's famous tale has left a sometimes ridiculous legacy in the town that bears its name. In fact, before it closed, you could order Horseman Bruschetta in the, the Horseman Restaurant and Pizza. Ichabod Crane endures on the library shelves in our collective imagination, if nowhere else. At the end of the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Irving suggested the lonely schoolteacher's voice can still be heard at a distance, chanting a melancholy psalm tune through the tranquil solitudes of Sleepy Hollow. Well, I know I've known a couple of so-called ghost hunters who claim to have run into the Headless Horseman. Let's go to Banff, Canada. Talk about the revenants of the Rockies. And that's B-A-N-F-F. First opened in 1888 as a luxury railroad hub, the Banff Springs Hotel, also known as the Castle in the Rockies, is one of North America's great mountain getaways with sweeping views of the Bow Valley and the heart of Banff National Park. And although this resort has uh, 764 guest rooms, one is notoriously missing. There's no room 873 on the 8th floor, even though the room's in on the number 73 elsewhere in the hotel. According to legend, a husband murdered his wife and daughter in room 873, and the girl's fingerprints simply could not be washed off the mirror. This, along with the disembodied screaming and bloody handprints on the walls, caused the hotel to close off that particular room. The baseboards cut with the door to room 873 would have been, according to enjoybanff.com, and knocking on the wall produces a hollow sound. Guests reportedly seen the doomed family spirits roaming the halls, along with a headless bagpiper and a bartender who tells guests they've had too much to drink. Another well-known ghost is the Burned Bride, who died when the wedding dress caught fire and who dances in a wedding dress at the Rob Roy dining room and the Cascade Ballroom. Hotel's friendliest otherworldly occupant, Sam McCauley, a Scottish bellman who died in 1975. He said to still operate the elevators, by the way. Hotel security guard cast a little professional doubt on that legend. He said the guy works here for decades, and what does he do after he dies? He comes back and works the elevators. I don't think so. Well, then we got the old Royal Victoria, Montreal's haunted hospital. 
Looming over the city on the south slope of Mount Royal, the Vic, as it's called, saw plenty of distressed patients during its 122-year history. But some of them may have never checked out, though presumably not because they lacked the food. After one man died in the cardiac unit, the nurses shut his door, but when they returned with his family, they found the room locked from the inside. Napping nurse, who woke to see a white smoky light hovering above her, followed by two other apparitions. And one patient claimed after speaking to the specter of an old woman, he found himself lying in a pool of blood. And he was not in the ER, by the way. In addition to the usual knockings and the flickering lights, the Vic once contained a haunted painting. According to McGill University Health Center's website, it showed a house in which a previous patient saw a sinister old woman staring from the window. A few times she even left the house and looked around before going back inside. Well, not surprisingly, this particular painting has been removed. Well, in April 2015, the operating hospital of the Vic was moved to a new location. And while McGill announced in 2018 plans to turn the area into a world-class pavilion for research, one thing is certain, hospitals' persistent patients may never be discharged. Some things just uh, do not change. Well, let's talk about a place I really like. I spent a week there. The Queen Mary, known as the most haunted ship. It was built in the shipyard of Clydebank, Scotland, 1936. Um, I enjoyed wandering around it. Took a lot of photographs. You know, years after the legendary Queen Mary luxury liner was permanently docked as a hotel and tourist attraction in Long Beach, a marine engineer named John Smith had an unsettling experience while prowling the ship late at night. One deserted staircase, he heard the sound of water rushing and men screaming. But when he investigated, nobody was there. Later on, he learned in 1942 when the liner was used during World War II, it collided with its companion vessel, the HMS Kirako, Kirakawa, um, on its way to Gorok, Scotland. Kirakawa was immediately sheared in two and sunk, killed 338 men. He said, the very area I heard that mysterious water rushing was the exact same area that was damaged when the ship hit the, the Kirakawa. Not surprising, a nearly 80-year-old ship with more than a 1,000 ocean crossings and reported 49 deaths behind it would have a reputation for being haunted. Before it was retrofitted, painted gray, and used in the wars of so-called gray ghosts, the Queen Mary began as a luxury liner in 1936, ferrying the likes of Fred Astaire and Bob Hope across the Atlantic. During the war, in addition to the collision, many German and Italian POWs carried on the liner and may have... Uh, Died as did soldiers from heat stroke traveling in the Mediterranean and the Indian Ocean. Uh, according to uh, Brian Clune in Ghost of the Queen Mary, we know that other deaths of natural causes, suicide, and accidents occurred, and there are a number of others that the owners tried to hide for more dark and sinister reason. Room B340 is why they believe to be the most haunted room on the ship, a site where a family is allegedly murdered. According to Clune, that's a fiction created by former owners who wanted to use the unoccupied space as part of a tourist attraction. The real site of those murders, according to uh, Clune, was room B-474, which, of course, has a reputation of being haunted. As are the, the B-deck, where a morgue and an isolation room is located during World War II. The engine room, the green room, and an area known as Shaft Alley. But the most 
spirited area on the ship may be the former first-class pool area, home to little Jackie, a five- or six-year-old girl who's maybe the ship's most famous ghost. Playful and talkative, her voice has been allegedly caught many times on tape. Sadly, she's said to remain on the ship because she's looking for her mother. Sometimes she cries out, wanting her mother. Another pool room ghost is known as Grumpy, a growling cigarette-smoking spirit said to haunt the stories area beneath the pool. And choking sounds near the old hospital area resonantly emanate from the ghost of an officer who died after drinking poison he thought was gin. Well, still there the ghost included the lady in white who was obviously dancing to unheard music in the Queen's Salon and the spirit of an 18-year-old crewman named John Petter who was crushed by a watertight door at number 13 in Shaft Alley while playing chicken with his co-workers. And this day, these days, the, the ship capitalizes on, and not to say exploits, its spooky reputation by offering ghost tours, interactive attractions, and seances. There's even a dinner special known as Dining with the Spirits that allows you to pair in paranormal investigation of more earthbound spirits. You can even order Bloody Mary. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow, and once again, we'll be talking about some of the world's most haunted places. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.